Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. This program features Native American poet Simon Ortiz. Born in 1941 in Albuquerque, Simon Ortiz grew up immersed in the oral tradition of the Acoma Pueblo people. His father belonged to the Antelope Clan. His mother was a member of the Eagle Clan. In 1948, Ortiz began attending a Bureau of Indian Affairs school where he learned English as a second language. He went on to study at the University of New Mexico and the University of Iowa. As one of the major figures of the Native American literary movement that emerged in the 1960s, Ortiz has written fiction and nonfiction in addition to poetry. Throughout his career, Ortiz continued to draw inspiration from the storytelling traditions and spiritual practices of his youth. After publishing a chapbook, Naked in the Wind, in 1971, Ortiz tried to interest publishers in a 400-page book of poetry. In this talk, Ortiz reads from that manuscript, which eventually became two books, Going for the Rain and A Good Journey. Here is Simon Ortiz speaking at the University of Arizona in 1975. Thank you very much for having me share your time with you, but thank you very much. I will be reading from two books which I just finished recently, one of them called Going for the Rain and the other called A Good Journey. There is a song which goes like this. Let us go, let us go again, brother. Let us go for the Shiwana. Let us make our prayer songs. We will go now. Now we are going. We will bring back the Shiwana. They are coming now. Now they are coming. It is flowing. The plants are growing. Let us go again, brother. Let us go for the Shiwana. A man makes his prayers, he sings his songs. He considers all that is important and special to him, his home, his children, his language, the self that he is. He must make spiritual and physical preparation before anything else. Only then does anything begin. A man leaves, he encounters all manners of things. He has adventures, meets people, acquires knowledge, goes different places. He is always looking. Sometimes the traveling is hazardous. Sometimes he finds meaning, and sometimes he is destitute. But he continues. He must. His traveling is a prayer as well, and he must keep on. A man returns, and even the returning has moments of despair and tragedy. But there is also beauty, and there is joy. At times he is confused, and at times he sees with utter clarity. It is all part of the traveling that is a prayer. They are things he must go through before he can bring back what he seeks, before he can return to himself. The rain comes and falls, the Shiwana have heeded the man, and they have come. The man has brought back the rain. It falls and it is nourishing. The man returns to the strength that his selfhood is, his home, 
his people, his language, the knowledge and the experience of who he is. The cycle has been traveled. Life has beauty and meaning and it will continue because there is no end. The first part, the preparation. The creation according to Coyote, Tsushk is his Akama name. First of all, it's all true, Kaimat, Coyote. Tsushk, he says this. This way, Ta'amu, humble yourself, motioning and meaning what he says. You were born when you came from that body, the earth. Your black head burst from granite, the ashes cooling until it began to rain. It turned muddy then, and then green and brown things came without legs. They looked strange. Everything was strange. There was nothing to know then until later, Coyote Tsushk told me this, and he was lying probably. Two sons were born. They were young then, and then later on, they were older. And then the people were wondering what was above. They had heard rumors. But you know, Coyote, he was mainly bragging when he said, I think, my brothers, the, the twins then said, let's lead these poor creatures and save them. And later on, they came to light after many exciting and colorful and tragic things of adventure. And this is the life, all these, all these. My uncle told me all this that time. Coyote told me too, but you know how he is. Always talking to the gods, the mountains, the stone, all around. And you know, I believe him, I believe him. Forming child, April 73, several months before my daughter, Rainy, was born, I wrote this, for the forming child. First one, old childs tremble against your mother's inner wall is a true movement without waste or hesitation a beating of wings following ancient trails to help us return. Second one, I will point out your face, your place on the earth, among mountains, on ground, by old watercourses, in wind, where your mother walked, where her mother walked. This way then, da'a, this way, I will show you those points where you will present yourself. Third one, Two days ago, when I was at the foot of Black Mountain, there were rain clouds forming in a space between the tip of the mountain and a point in the sky. Two days before that, I saw a hawk circling in a slow, cool wind south of that place where I stood watching. Fourth one, years ago, your brother and I walked from Che Goodluck's Hogan in the Lukachukai Mountains to a place where water flowed from under huge granite boulders. The water tasted like the wind, roots, fresh herbs, and sweet smells. 
fifth one. I want you to see a pass in the Chuska Mountains where there are aspen, oak, elevation high enough for fur and snow enough to last till June. I've been up there twice, once on a hard winter day. Sixth one. Among the things I would require of you is that you should relish the good wheat bread your mother makes at taking care that you should think how her hands move, kneading the dough, shaping it with her concern, and how you were formed and grew in her. Seventh one. Near the summit southeast of Kinlichi, I saw a piece of snow melt water that I thought would look good on a silver bracelet with maybe two small turquoise stones at its sides. But then I liked the way it was too, under pine trees, the snow feeding it, the evening sunlight slanting off it, and I knew that you would understand why I decided to leave it like that. Eighth one. Yesterday, as I was lighting a cigarette, Raho, my son, warmed, warned me with, if anyone starts a fire, Smokey the Bear will come put them out. Bears got a lot of friends. Four poems for a child son. Raho is his name. December 18, 1972. What's your Indian name? It has to do with full moments of mountains, deserts, sun, gods, song, completeness. It has to do with stories, legends, full of heroes and traveling. It has to do with rebirth and growing and being strong and seeing. You see, Amut, it's like this, the movement, the Amu Eka Go to the water and gather the straight willow stems. Bring them home. Work carefully at forming them. Tie on the feathers. Paint them with the earth. Feed them and pray with them. Pray. You see, son, Samud, the eagle is a whole person, the way it lives. It means it has to do with paying attention to where it is, not the center of the earth especially, but part of it, one part among all parts, and that's only the beginning. It was the third day. July 12, 1971. Hitchhiking on the way to Colorado, I heard your voice. Look, Dad, a hawk sweeping its wings clear through the whole sky, the blue, the slow wind, fresh with the smell of summer alfalfa at the foot of the Hamas Mountains. You see, the gods, the gods in the come during the summer for four days among the people bringing gifts, bringing hope and life. You can see them, I mean. Waiting for my next ride, I sang, look, the plants with bells, look, the stones with voices. Yesterday, 
In the late afternoon, there was suddenly a noise of birds filling up everything. This morning, in the newspaper, I read about starlings at the Air Force Base. I guess there were, but all I knew yesterday was that they filled up the trees, the utility wires, the sky, the world. That's all I know. What my Uncle Tony, Hawia, told my sister and me. Respect your mother and father. Kutranaya, kutranaishtia. Respect your brothers and sisters. Respect your uncles and aunts. Respect your land, the beginning. Respect what is taught you. Respect what you are named. Respect the gods. Respect yourself. Everything, staitzi that is around you is part of you. To ensure survival for rainy dawn born July 5, 1973, you come forth the color of a stone cliff at dawn, changing colors blue to red to all the colors of the earth. Grandmother spider speaks, laughter and growing and weaving things and threading them together to make life to wear. All these, all these. You come out, child, naked as that cliff at sunrise, shorn of anything except spots of your mother's blood. You just kept blinking your eyes and trying to catch your breath. In five more days, they will come, singing, dancing, bringing gifts, the stones with voices, the plants with bells. They will come, child, they will come. Time and motion and space I told Barbara, when I was a kid, we used to throw rocks off the cliff edges at Akoma, Ago. We were fascinated because the falling of rocks seems to be something like stopping time. I mean, it seems real and clear to you then. Time is so deep, phantomless, and all the time that you can't pin it down at exact points, nor with explanations, but being witness to fallen rock. Time is tangible then. It is a rock falling from the release of your hand, moving into, through, down space to the ground at bottom cliff edge. That's, that's how you know then. Time and motion and space, pine and fir, the wind, lichen on sun-warm rock, a road below in the valley, voices of friends, ourselves. Pine song, she said, butterfly comes by, and then be all dressed in bright yellow and black. This is the way it is. I'm not just making it up. The poet, the quotes are from a friend of mine who's, she and I always like to joke with each other. The poet, are you really a poet? She asked, sure, crickets always talk like that. 
A couple nights after, I listened for a long time to a couple reminding themselves about 10 million years ago in some cave in Asia. It was a long, long time ago. They rattled membranes together and sang all night long. I didn't know you were a poet, she said. Later on, there was another cave. A woman was moaning, and later she was laughing, not very far from a glacier's edge. To the south were swaying grasses, brightly colored birds, warm oceans, hot deserts, and strange gods who demanded nothing. She asked me if I liked crickets. I said, yeah, but not cockroaches. I wondered out loud if cockroaches are any relation to crickets, and she said, maybe, but not too close. I want to look it up somewhere, but 10 million years is a hell of a long time to really clear it up. How long you been a cricket? <clears throat> My father's song. Wanting to say things, I miss my father tonight. His voice, the slight catch, the depth from his thin chest, the tremble of emotion in something he has just said to his son, his song. We planted corn one spring at Ago. We planted several times, but this one particular time, I remember the soft, damp sand in my hand. My father had stopped at one point to show me an overturned furrow. The plowshare had unearthed it, the burrow nest of a mouse in the soft, moist sand. Very gently, he scooped tiny pink animals into the palm of his hand and told me to touch them. We took them to the edge of the field and put them in the shade of a sand-moist clod. I remember the very softness of cool and warm sand and tiny alive mice and my father saying things, his song. Poem for Jody, a Navajo kid, about leaving. I was telling you about the red cliff faces of the Lukachukai Mountains, how it is going away. And near Tsegi, the red and brown land that is like a woman, healthy and strong, ready to give birth to many children. And you don't ever want to go, but do anyway. The second part, leaving. Towards Spider Spring. I was amazed at the wall of stones by the roadside. Our baby, his mother, and I were trying to find the right road but all we found were ones deeply rutted and high-centered. We were trying to find a place to start all over, but didn't. On the way back, we passed by the stone walls again. The stones had no mortar. They were just stones balancing against the sky. Arrival in sudden seaside fog this morning. Last night, traveling through the bare-bone desert parts of Arizona and California, a variety of discomforts riding my poor body through the long-distant night of Casa Grande, Dateland, Yuma, El Centro, and now, this morning early, they have become roadside ghosts vanished into the sudden fog. 
many farms notes taken on a many farms Arizona trip a couple years ago. One, hawk circles on wind roads, only he knows how to follow to the center. Two, hawk's bright eyes reads trees, stones, points in the horizon, movements, how wind and shadows play tricks and sudden rabbit, rabbit flurry, which reminds him of his empty stomach. Three, a tuba city girl asks me if I ever write from paintings. I tell her that I write with visions in my head. Four, I'm walking out a gallop. He calls, hey, my friend, where are you going too fast? Many farms. Good lucks, he says. I smile for his good thoughts. Five, a wind vision. If you look into the Chinle Valley, you will see the woman's cover, a tapestry her old mother worked at for 10 million years or so. Six, on the way south to the junction, I looked to the northeast but couldn't decide whether that point in the distance beyond the defiance uplift was Sansela, Butte, or Fluted Rock. Seven, the L.A. kid was a city child and a Navajo rodeo queen who said she'd seen me on the road coming out of Window Rock, said her friend had said, I think that was him, we just passed him up and felt so bad said she was born in L.A. but wasn't really a city girl and visited her homeland every summer and said her mother was born in Lukachukai. Eight, bear occurs several times, of course. The day before I went to many farms, I received a card from Snyder, said he had spent a day watching grizzly bear grizzling at the San Diego Zoo. A Navajo girl had a painting of bear. He was facing east and looking up. A line was drawn through him from chest to tail, rainbow muted colors. And I said, that line seems to be both the horizon and the ground line from where you start. She told me about what the people say. Don't ever whistle at night where bears are because female bears do that when there are courting bears around. Remember that, she said. Don't whistle in the dark, horny bear night. That Navajo girl asked me what I thought about polygamy. I told her I thought it was a good idea, but not for keeps. And we laughed. I wonder how many wives bear has. Nine. For Monday night supper, we had mutton ribs, round steak, goodest letter bread, tortillas, broccoli, green chili, potatoes, gravy, coffee, and apple pie. The mutton was tough, and Francis said, you gotta be tough to live on this land. <clears throat> 10. After I got out of the back of a red pickup truck, I walked for about a mile and met three goats, two sheep, and a lamb by the side of the road. I was wearing a bright red wool cap pulled over my ears, and I suppose they thought I was maybe weird because they were all eyes and ears. I said, Yat eh, my friends. I'm from Akuma, just passing through. The sheep with the bell jingled it in greeting a couple of times. 
I could almost hear the elder sheep telling the younger, you don't see very many Aqaba poets passing through here. <laughs> 11. What would you say that the main theme of your poetry is, she asked. To put it as simply as possible, I say it this way. To recognize the relationships I share with everything. I would like to know well the path just from just east of Black Mountain to the gray outcropping of Roof Butte without having to worry about the shortest way possible. 12. I worried about two women discussing how to get rid of a foreman child without too much trouble, whether it would be in the hospital in Gallup or in Ganado. Please forgive my worry and my concern. 13. Are you going to Gallup, Shima? Yes. One dollar and fifty cents, please. Small things. These are these are a couple items from from the I, I, one summer I spent uh, in a teepee in southern Colorado. It's kind of strange for a pueblo man to be spending some time in living in a teepee. But, uh, small things today. Had a tortilla with some honey at mid afternoon. It was good. Wished I had some chili. Smell of apples, wet fields, in back of the blue tent is a box of last season's Animas Valley apples. Soon it will be another fall. Wind blows, shakes the tarp, water falls to the ground, the sound of water splashing. Several hours ago, watched a woodpecker watching me. We both moved our heads with funny, funny jerks. Rex and his sad dog eyes Somebody looking around in a field, looking for lost things. Notice bean sprouts growing. They're very pale and nude. Rex doesn't like chicken livers, but gizzards are okay. Bus ride, conversation. She says, I came to Albuquerque on Wednesday. She's about 18. I have three shell necklaces ready to sell. A man offered me $30, she said. She smells slightly sour with sweat the several nights in Albuquerque. We mention names to each other, people we know, places we've been. She says, in May, I was in Gallup jail with a girl from Acoma. I've been there too. The cook was an Apache, she says. He sneaked two chili burgers into us. He was sure good to us. She giggles and I laugh. She gets off at Domingo Junction. Be good, she says. You too. Portrait of a poet with a console TV in hand. I bought that TV at John's TV on College Avenue in San Diego and lugged it all the way home on the Greyhound bus. <laughs> sitting in Phoenix bus depot, waiting room, TV sitting on my lap, I felt foolish as I watched depot officials grab an old man, derelict, as he searched dazedly into an open locker compartment, 
They pushed him reeling out into deadly, stunning American city. At 12.30 a.m., there wasn't anything else on, just that already too late, late channel. I had known that I would be coming home, but the TV in hand bit was an entirely new angle, and I think that it must have to do with a new odd madness. Surprise. On Friday, we passed through mountains, through place called Alpine, hand-lettered signs on apple cider roadside stands, a small lake, lots of pine, and higher up twisted aspen made me lonesome for crystal on Arizona-New Mexico line. Yesterday, it snowed only 70 miles southeast of San Diego in the mountains. Monday morning, I am very clear in my head, realize I didn't get drunk all weekend. Surprises I like to learn from them when I am clear. Without you. What to do without you is night madness. Once you called up, I was crossing the street and suddenly there was nothing around me. There is nothing around you. You are an island. The ocean is overbrimmed. Sometimes it is too late for anything else. You said, I'll try to make it home, but there's all that traffic. Okay, I said, and I watched for you and finally saw your shadowed figure come swimming homeward. The poems I have lost. She said to take the L train too. I know where I left them, on the floor of her apartment with five locks on 13th Street, somewhere else city, USA. I don't think I'll ever go back. A young couple picked me up just east miles out of Asheville, had just started a poem too, and we stopped and smoked at a roadside table at the edge of June tobacco fields. I lost them somewhere between there and the Atlantic Ocean. I wrote Duffy a long rambling letter, called it a poem from Nashville because I got lonesome for sunsets in Colorado springtime and then dropped the letter in the mailbox. I wonder if it ever found her in Juneau, Alaska. The last thing I remember was leaning into the roots of a pinyon tree. It wasn't the horse that had thrown me. It wasn't McAllister either who owned the horse. It was all that damn beer we had been drinking all afternoon. I got a letter from St. Paul, Minnesota, inviting me up there to read poems. I fell off the plane in Denver, lost my ticket and most of my poems, but managed to hold on enough to a few remaining things. Memories, I guess they are, crowd me because of all the signals I've missed the poems that keep coming back in pieces. Fragments remain with me, of course. I touch the bare skeletons, smell the old things, and see new visages pass many, many times. Those are enough. A patient's poem for the child that is me. Be patient, child. Be patient, quiet. The rivers run into the center of the earth and around 
revolve all things and flow into the center. Be patient, child, quiet. Returning, the third part, the Wisconsin horse. It is late at night, lying on the floor, hearing a church bell across the street, remembering that Wisconsin horse this spring. One step at a time to return. The horse across the road stands within a fence, silent in the hot afternoon. A mile north is some construction, I tell the horse. That's America building something. A mile further through a clump of trees is a river. The Wisconsin horse is silent. The bell clamors against the insides of my skull. It has nothing to do with sound that can comfort. The clamor wants to escape its barriers. I want it to escape. I have no defenses. I should be an eager Christian, hungry for salvation, or at the very least, accept snugness bound tightly in plastic. Yet at this single point in my life, I know only a few bare things. The floor, the walls around me, the bell across the street, that despair is a miserable excuse for emptiness, that I should echo louder that call for salvation, which at this point I know is a need to fill the hollows and pockets of my body. Despair is such a poor excuse to exclude things from my life, to allow them to slip from safe places. But now, and not too soon, in this dark night, having gotten up to write, I make this offering. That Wisconsin horse I saw standing in the hot afternoon, staring through a chain-link fence at the construction going on only a mile away. I wonder now if the horse still stands silent in the dark night, dreamless and stifled, having no recourses left except to hope his silence will soon go away and the meaningfulness enter. A barroom fragment. He was talking. I invited her to Las Vegas and then, and then when we got to the hotel, she asked for a separate room. I told her, shit, if you want a room to yourself, baby, why, baby, that's all right, have it. I had brought her up there on a $4 million airplane, and I told her, you can go across the street and take a $30,000 bus back to Burbank. Now I know that was coyote talking. <laughs> Four years ago, Four years ago, I was in Wisconsin, somewhere making for the state line, heading homewards, crossing. I wondered what period of history I was then. I wonder that now. Yesterday, I told my wife, you must see me in the perspective of my whole life. It all adds ups and downs. Horizons and rains. Interstate 40 from Albuquerque to Gallup. Witness to the brown people stumbling Sunday afternoon northward. Where's the rain that feels so good? And to Tse Lee, the mountains, dark buttes. Maybe if the Hopis 
and Navajos quit messing around, Ackley says, where it has always been, the brown people losing trails and finding trails and losing them and finding again the horizons and rains in the far distance. Washiuma Motor Hotel. Beneath the cement foundations of the motel, the ancient spirits of the people conspire sacred tricks. They tell stories and jokes and laugh and laugh. The American passers-by get out of their hot, stuffy cars at evening, pay their money wordlessly, and fall asleep without benefit of dreams. The next morning, they get up, dress automatically, brush their teeth, get in their cars, and drive away. They haven't noticed that the cement foundations of the motor hotel are crumbling bit by bit. The ancient spirits tell stories and jokes and laugh and laugh. I told you I like Indians. I met a Sioux, Sioux guy in, in Florida one time. I asked him uh, how he happened to get to Florida. And he said, oh, I went on relocation to San Francisco, met a go-go girl there, and she was from Florida, and that's how I'm here. I told you I like Indians. You meet, in the, you meet Indians everywhere. Once I walked into this one place, Flagler Beach, Florida. You'd never expect it. A bar and some old people ran it. The usual question, of course, you're an Indian, aren't you? Yes, ma'am, I'm Indian, all right. Wild, ignorant, savage. <laughs> and she wants me, she wants me to dance. Well, well, okay been drinking beer all the way from Hollywood, and we dance something. You're Indian, aren't you? Yes, Jesus Christ Almighty, I'm one of them. I like, <laughs> I like Indians. There's an Indian around here, she says. What? And in walks a big Sioux. Christ's sake, man, how's relocation, brother? <laughs> he shakes, he shakes my hand. Glad to see you. I thought I was somewhere else. We play the ping pong machine, drink beer once in a while, dance with the old lady who likes Indians. I like, I like Indians. I told you, you meet Indians everywhere. To and fro. On the train to California, a black porter told me, we don't serve Indians hard liquor, chief. I said, that's okay, man. When I got home, my wife asked, what are you doing back here? I said, I came home. Actually, I was a fugitive. I had decided that at 8 a.m. in the East Commons over scalding coffee, sitting at an imitation wood table as I watched crowds of students mangle each other before breakfast. I had several strange moments thinking of Charles Olson and language, thinking about a point in particular the night before when the night and the connections were one and the same, and I had touched a sustaining motion, realizing the energy, realizing the energy that language is and becomes. I had to leave California, I told my wife later, but kept secret that dove I had heard one precarious morning when I was sick and moaned for home, pushing back the memory of a boy in summer morning fields. Fragment. On my way to city court, 
to be judged again. I pick up a small stone. The month is March, it will be Easter soon. I put the stone in my pocket. It is that I feel the need for deliverance, and maybe if I do this, my hands are sweaty. My fervent, futile wish is that I had never been in jail that first time. I put the stone into my other hand and caress it with my fingertips. I find it is moist and realize it is a fragment of the earth center, and I know that it is my redemption. For Nanao, Nanao is a Japanese uh, friend poet who visited Canyon Diche one time a couple years ago, and he had gone up on the south rim of the Canyon Diche and walked back to where there was uh, he and some other friends were staying down back down into the valley, and he had met a Navajo woman, and he talked with her. He said she was talking. Navajo and he was talking Japanese. That time you came back and told us about meeting a Navajo woman on the canyon's rim. You were happy and smiling. You said, we were talking, smiling and gesturing to each. Yes, Nanao, you must have been truly. The two languages, Navajo and Japanese, Origins from the monumental age of glacial Asia. It is all true. You must have been mother and son then, or sister and brother, or lover and lover. I can see you smiling, remembering that time in millennia. I can see the lights in your eyes. Two Akama pictures. Little Wren. I need a song. Little Wren, this morning, quickly make me a song out of sandstone clefts, a bit of yucca growing there. Quickly, my friend, just a bit of song which goes. Cool morning shadow, sandstone ledge, mica glints. Sun will rise from Chuska horizon. These are some sections out of, out of a good journey. I want to tell you some uh, coyote, coyote stories. Telling about coyote. Tsushik. My father was saying that he went into the kiva. Like, one of the kiva, I guess a big kiva at the Mauharuds. Because he, it's one of, one of his duties as an antelope clan elder is to uh, watch over those things and he was telling I don't know how it started or who was telling it but this is the story one time the goey 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 commit the lagunas were having a rabbit rabbit hunt chayawani it means hunting and killing each other among them was an agome an akama an in-law to the lagunas goey commit at the beginning of the hunt, the field chief, Zatehuchen, gives instructions and bids the people to pay heed to the rules and to be careful not to harm each other. And he called to the people, Now you can go and hunt, but you must be especially careful 
that you don't kill Coyote because he is one of the people and some of you are clan relatives of his. There were some Coyote clan people in the hunt. And he repeated, you can kill anything, but you cannot kill, but don't kill Coyote. And so the people, the Lagunas and the one Akama set out to hunt. They went out like we do, you know, encircling them, finding and killing the rabbits, until at one point, suddenly, Coyote was routed out from under a rock ledge, and he ran in the direction of the Akama, and the Akama killed him. Now, one of the Coyote clan relatives saw it, and he called, Coyote people, Coyote people, our relative has been killed. Come here, come here. Our poor beloved relative has been killed by this Akama. And the Coyote people came, and they mourned their relative who was laid out at their feet, and they looked at the Akama, and they cried angrily, Arema, meaning you confounded dirty Akama, <laughs> and began and began to chase him westwards towards Akama. But when the people, when the Coyote people were chasing and hollering and cussing at the Akama, Coyote suddenly jumped up and he ran away. And the Coyote people stopped chasing and cussing the Akama and said that he could come back to join the Lagunas. I don't know if the story is true or not, but that's the story I heard my father said. As, tri as tribal peoples, we tell stories about each other. There's probably a Laguna version that is told about a one Laguna and uh, the others, all Akamas. Sometimes coyote is pero. Sometimes pero is coyote. Sometimes they're one and the same person. This one's about Pero's wonderful kettle. One day, Pero was cooking at his camp. He had a kettle of meat and corn, which he had just taken out of the ashes and coals. The food had been buried all day, cooking all day long, and he put the meat and corn on top of the ashes and coals. Just then, a troop of Santarutich soldiers came along. They saw Pero busy at his cooking, and they saw the kettle, and they smelled the good food. The kettle was really boiling away. They could see that, but they could see no fire. Quasi Pero, the soldiers said in greeting. Pero said. He kept on being busy. You are busy with your cooking, the soldiers asked. Ha, Pero answered, yes. The soldiers were very curious about the boiling kettle of stew. They marveled at how it was boiling and there was no fire that they could see. Your stew is boiling beautifully, the soldiers said. Ah, it is boiling, Pero agreed matter-of-factly. Finally, curiosity getting the best of them, the soldiers asked. How is it that the stew is boiling when there is no fire under your kettle? And Pero, noting their overly anxious curiosity, said, Oh, it's just that that's the kind of kettle it is. It boils like that by itself. That must be a wonderful kettle, the soldiers marveled. Oh, yes, ah, it is. It's quite useful, he said. And the soldiers talked among themselves, and without wanting to be too eager, they said to Pero, Compare, 
Do you think you can give us that wonderful kettle? And Pero kept on being busy. And then he turned to them in, and he said, I don't think there is any way I can give it to you. The kettle was really boiling away. The smell of the meat and corn was delicious. Indeed, it was a marvelous kettle. They had to have it. And the soldiers said, Well, let us buy it from you. And Pero said, I don't think I can sell it to you. It's a favorite of mine. But then he saw that the soldiers were ready to bargain their treasures for the kettle. And he pretended to be less reluctant to part with his kettle. And they bargained, the soldiers making an offer and Pero holding back. The soldiers raising their price and Pero seeming to be holding back less and less. Until the soldiers said, we'll give you your weight in gold for the kettle. And Pero, pretending a sorrowful reluctance, said, you have made me a generous offer for my beloved, wonderful kettle, but I think it is a fair price. You can have it. And the soldiers brought Pero his weight in gold, and they took the plain kettle, and they rolled off. And another one. One time, four people were eating together. They saw Pero approaching them. And one of them said, there comes Pedro. Don't anyone invite him to eat, to sit down and eat. He's too much of a liar. And they kept on eating. And Pedro got to where they were eating and he said, go on, see, how are you? They said, fine. And they kept on eating and nobody invited him to sit down and eat. What's wrong with you? Pedro asked, you, are, you, are you eating? And they answered, ha, yes, we're eating. Pero stood around watching them eat. To make conversation, one of the four said, asked, where are you coming from? And Pero said, oh, I'm coming from nowhere special. And after a bit of silence, another asked, what things do you know? And Pero answered, oh, I don't know much of anything. They kept on eating, and Pedro kept standing there. And then he said, Oh, I do know a bit of something. And he paused until they were all waiting for him to continue. And then he said, When I was coming here, I saw some cows. And pretending to show little interest, one said, Oh, well, one usually sees cows around. And Pedro said, Yes, that's true. And one of them had just given birth to some calves. And one of them said, oh, well, you know, usually cows give birth to calves. <laughs> the cow was feeding her calves, Pedro said. Oh, well, that's what cows usually do, feed their calves, one of the four said. And then Pedro said, the cow had given birth to five calves. And one of them was just standing around looking hungry, not feeding, because as you know, cows usually only have four nipples. And the four, realizing what Pedro was saying, looked at each other and said to Pedro, sit down and eat. Pedro was known to be a shrewd man. Time to kill and gallop.
City streets are barren fronts for pain, hobbles toward the perky wallow hole up under the bridge. My eyes are pain, yesterday they were visions. Sometimes my story has worked, but this time the fallen scabs reveal only toothless woman. Gums back sorrow, she gags on wine, one more countless time won't matter. Says, one more, my friend. I know him by the roadside. He got lost, didn't want to go home. Left him a ghost to remember. Only sorrow has no goodbyes. These streets aren't much for excuses to start on at least one last good time. So forgetful, it's easy you are, she said, sweeping her hand in knocking on cold railroad tie. Shudders, too often a load of children, bound to be bound in rags. They did cry too many times, would only dig graves, lean on church walls for warmth. Sure, why not? Cast nickels, dimes, favors, quick cold kisses, sand slips in, the child whimpers pain into gutters. These streets never were useful for anything except tears. Rubs her one last eye, the other is a socket for a memory she got ripped, ripped off at Liberty Bar, saving a pint of wine, thinking she was saving grace and would be granted redemption if she turned over one more time. But sister, sister, these streets are empty. They tell only sighs that are mean, cold clutch. No change left, but might be, if we ask for keeps. I will come back to you for keeps, after all. I will, for your sake, for ours, the children will rise. She walks on, the streets are no longer desperation. The reeking vapors become the quiet wind. It rains at last. You can see how Chuska Mountains favor her dreams when she walks toward them, her arms and legs unlimbering, all her love returning. The man she finds is a roadside plant. She sings then, water in her eyes, clear as a child, of rain. It shall, it shall, it shall, it shall be these gifts to return again. It will happen again. Cleansing. Again. Cleansing. It doesn't end, of course. It doesn't end. In all growing from all earths to all skies, in all touching all things, in all soothing the aches of all years, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Thank you very much for your, for your time. That was Simon Ortiz speaking in Tucson at the University of Arizona on February 26, 1975. The recording was used with permission of the University of Arizona Poetry Center. The full recording of this reading is permanently available on VOCA, the Poetry Center's online audio-video library, which you can visit at voca.arizona.edu.
www.simonortiz.edu. Most of the poems read by Simon Ortiz come from his first two books, Going for the Rain and A Good Journey, published in 1976 and 1977. Other poetry collections by Ortiz include From Sand Creek, Woven Stone, and After and Before Lightning. A collection of short stories, Men on the Moon, was published in 1999. You can learn more about Simon Ortiz and read some of his poems by visiting poetryfoundation.org, where you'll also find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from poetryfoundation.org.